Good morning. How great thou art. You know, it's songs like that that we can sing no matter what's going on in our life. Because it's not about how great life always is. It's not about how great my plans are going. It's about, God, how great you are. And that doesn't matter anything else. How great God is. And that's a wonderful song. That's one that we can hold dear and sing dear. You know, it's amazing how many fads that uh, we come across in our lifetime, and fads about footwear especially. And, and when you think about fads like footwear, and I know some of you are looking at Crocs saying, Sean, they've been around probably long enough to not be a fad. Well, I think they're still a fad. I'm going to use that this morning. But the thing about footwear is that shoes are specifically engineered for different environments. And more so, you can go to a specialty shop and you can get a shoe specifically engineered to your foot, your arch, the way you uh, land your foot when you walk. You know, do you roll it in, do you roll it out? And so there's all this uh, specificity of shoes. But you've got certain kind of shoes that you look for and want for certain activities. Jason, you wouldn't put your players in ice skates, would you? That'd be a pretty short game, wouldn't it? So you've got specific shoes for certain purposes. How many of you have ever passed on an activity or going somewhere or doing something because well, I don't have the right shoes on for that. We probably all had some experience with that. People want to go somewhere and do something. Oh, I'm not dressed for it. I don't have the right shoes. And so you think about, you know, you wouldn't wear cleats to a bowling alley. You wouldn't wear, well, I don't, Janet, maybe you wear cleats to a bowling alley on, who knows, see how your score goes up. You wouldn't wear high heels to climb pinnacle. And so you think about, you know, shoes. I wouldn't go running in these hard-soled shoes. I sure wouldn't run very far. My knees and my whole body would be aching because of it. So a good shoe helps you keep your balance, keeps your body's balance, and supports your body, evens out your weight distribution. So it's important. A good shoe is important. And although those who received Paul's letter that we've been studying, known as Ephesians, these folks, they didn't understand the physiological implications of appropriate footwear, they sure knew what worked in certain terrains, certain environments. They certainly understood that because they walked everywhere. Most people were on foot everywhere. And the older we get, the more aware we are of good footing. Some of you know exactly what I mean. If one of my kids falls, may have a little momentary hurt, maybe a bruise for a while. If I fall, I could very well be immobilized for days. And so especially as I get older, I think about that. I'm sore for days after falling. Footing is important. It's important to have good footing. In the first century, footing was important too. Roman government had built these, um, uh, these roads and the wonderful roads. They were way ahead of their time in their ability to engineer and to lay out these roads, smooth travel throughout their empire, specifically to facilitate travel of their army. They wanted to get their soldiers and their equipment from province to province to the outer reaches as, as quickly and as easily and without all the, the broken things that happen when you're bouncing around on rough terrain as possible. And so they engineered these wonderful roads. And as we mentioned last week, this presence of Roman military, especially in a place like Ephesus, was more noticeable than even as we look around today and we see our local law enforcement, you know, at the street corners or in, in the shopping centers or Walmart when we're in there or, or beside us in the, you know, at the traffic light. And so they were even more prevalent. It was a military state. And so you could see them everywhere. And so in this section of, F, of Ephesians that we're in right now, as Paul is writing, he draws this imagery of this Roman soldier. And no, Paul was in, in, in house arrest as he writes this letter here. And so probably surrounded, spent hours every day in the, the immediate presence 
of Roman soldiers, Roman guard. And so he could see this. And so it's playing in his mind and he begins to, to draw this imagery as he helps us understand what it means to live the Christian life, live as a Christian, to live in Christ and Christ living in us. And so, in fact, Paul says to live for Christ is actually to engage in a spiritual warfare. It's a battle when we live for Christ. We participate in the struggle. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he wrote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and against the powers and the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens, the heavenly places, all around us here. This is a war that's been going on long before you or I ever gave our life to Jesus Christ. This battle has been going on. We were infected in ways that we didn't even realize. Before we said, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. And we were baptized into Christ. Before that ever happened, we were affected in ways that we didn't even realize by this spiritual war going on. Until we came to know the truth of God, the Gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. How that in chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul writes, God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace, it's by God's grace, this gift of God that we have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, this is the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, I was dead in my sinfulness. and I was locked out of eternal life by my own choices, to disobey God. Even though I didn't even know I had a choice at some point. Didn't realize I had a choice until I knew I had a choice. And then I realized the choice I had made. Now I realize this gift in making that choice to live for Jesus, accepting that gift of grace. That changes our life. It has to change us, otherwise we haven't truly accepted it. And so we're changed by it. It changes the way we see life. And in fact, it opens our eyes not only to the blessings of, of living in God's eternal kingdom, but also as we look and we see the reality from the kingdom from which we have been rescued. Because when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only do we see what Christ gives us, but we see what He has saved us from. Because we can now, our eyes are opened. And we see Satan working in this world. The kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of destruction. That destroyer of lives, destroyer of relationships, destroyer of families, destroyer of hope. This great destroyer of congregations, the destroyer of souls. That's Satan's kingdom that we are rescued from. And even though we're delivered out of darkness into his marvelous light, this battle still rages on and we feel it. We experience it. We see it in the news. We see it in our families. We experience it at work among co-workers, among our boss, our place of employment. We struggle with that battle in our own heart every single day. So we know it's real. And even though at times it feels like this struggle is eternal, it is not. This is not an eternal struggle because the battle is won. See, God has secured the victory. The struggle is temporary. 
Because God has won the victory for us. And He did that through Jesus Christ. His faith in Jesus Christ enjoins us to this victory that God has already assured for us. But the struggle still rages because Satan hasn't given up yet. He's defeated, but he hasn't given up. And we've talked about that, how he is fighting with every last moment that God allows this earth to remain. And the damage that he does in his flailing death roll to lure us away from God with deceitful schemes. And so we must, as Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. How? By fastening the belt of truth around your waist. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness. By fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert. Be vigilant. Pay attention with all perseverance and requests for all the saints. So he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. And you cannot stand firm if you have the wrong shoes on. You can't do it. So a soldier could not go into battle without combat boots, without their appropriate footwear. History reveals stories of battles that have been decided and changed because, or prolonged even in some cases because of a soldier's inadequate footwear. Issue of footwear. Some soldiers have been lost from the ranks of battle because of foot issues, footwear issues. And so to ensure that they can move more quickly... These Roman soldiers had good traction in battle. And the soldier of Paul's day would have had these nail-studded sandals that they would wear into battle. This was part of their battle array. They could move swiftly over any ter- pretty much any terrain, a little slippage, because their footwear provided this, this needed support. They had the appropriate footwear. And so in the evil day, as the battle raged, they would be able to stand. They could hold their ground. And Paul says, God gives us, He gives the Christians this power to, to stand. He empowers us to stand. But we've got to put the armor on. It does no good for a soldier if his battle armament is left back at the base. We've got to put it on and take it with us every single day. Because we never know when the skirmish may erupt. We never know when Satan is going to test us before God. We never know when our hearts are going to be challenged. And so we've got to make this a part of our lives, including the shield of faith in Christ, the breastplate of His righteousness, as we saw last week. And by fitting our feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace, the good news that Christ gives of peace. See, the preparedness, the readiness comes from this possession, this ownership, this this taking hold of this Gospel, this good news. God's good news. And that sheds a calm over the heart. Because when you're prepared, it doesn't matter what's coming. You're ready for it. You're ready for it. The anxiety is is not spent in wondering, am I going to make it through or not? Because we're ready. See, this kind of peace of God sheds this calm over our heart. And it brings us into peace with God. And Paul looks around. He looks around his area and he thinks, you know, this peace of God is like these heavy spiked-soled boots or, or sandals that these legionnaires wear. 
These military people. Boots by, by which they can stand firm. That's how this peace of God is. Because with this peace, I can stand firm no matter who comes against me. And so this one power which brings us into harmony with the universe, this, into peace with ourselves, and peace with one another, is the power that proclaims that God is at peace with us. And that's our comfort. That allows us to stand. Because no matter what goes on in the world around us, it is well with my soul. Peace that abides because on all the horizon in front of us, there's nothing that can be seen that we're afraid of. Certainly not when it comes to our souls. So someone has said that a calm heart makes a light foot. When your heart is calm, you seem to step a lot lighter. Life eases up a little bit. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have a calm heart and to know that we have His peace, the peace of Christ. And half the energy of a troubled heart is taken up in, in the steadying and quieting of ourselves, trying to pull ourselves together. Or, or it's dissipated after going after a hundred different things. We spend so much energy on that. Our kids participate in sports and they're learning that the first move in pretty much any sport is to set your feet Get balanced. You've got to have your feet firm before you make any kind of move. That's the first thing our kids learn. That's what Paul is reminding us here. The same way this foundation of our Christianity is the Gospel. Our feet must be firmly planted. Our lives firmly planted. Our, our faith, our hope, our trust, our belief firmly planted in what God has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us through Jesus Christ. Because knowing that and embracing that and living that in our lives allows us to say, whatever comes, I'm at peace. I'm at peace with God. And so that belief, that assurance, that faith is what gives us the ability to stand firm. No matter what Satan can throw at us, we can stand firm because of Jesus Christ. And notice that the relation of, of one piece to another as Paul goes down this this armament here. You'll see the importance of the order in which Paul presents God's armor. So some, some of you are... are who, who's... I don't want to know. Some of you are shirt-first people when you get up in the morning, right? You know, some of you are sock-first, you know. we got this order, you know, this routine that we go through when we're getting dressed. And so, you know, when you get dressed, some of you, you know, this and that. And so the first piece of God's armor tells us something important. That it's Christ's truth. It's the truth of Christ. Because if we can't get past Christ's truth, faith in Christ, that he, that he is and was and will be who He is, then nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to affect us. We've got to start there. The ultimate secret of reality is who Jesus Christ is. And you have touched the key to life when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's something for the mind to understand and grasp and believe. And so then what? Well, then we know then. We, we know Him. We know Christ and we stand on His merits and we put on the breastplate of His righteousness as we talked about it. And we come, we come based on what He has done and not what we do, can do or will do. And, and what's the result of that? The result of that is our hearts are at peace. Because we're to walk in obedience. But when we can't and when we don't, it changes nothing about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's His righteousness that covers us. And so Paul says elsewhere, Romans chapter 5, we read, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does our peace come from? It comes from Christ. And through Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into grace. This grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. So we have this calmness, this courage. And I think the most accurate of this is we have good morale. See, it changes our morale when we realize that we are living and standing on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That changes our morale. Changes our attitude towards life. Our morale is higher and we're, we're ready for anything. There's no ground that can be too rough for Jesus Christ. And where are we standing? We're standing on Christ. We have Christ. And so then you end up with you know, discouragement and you have confusion and indifference. And Satan uses these when we allow them to creep into our life. And when we see these taking hold and we look around and we realize that our attitudes and our actions and, and kind of how our outlook on life is, is all surrounded by discouragement and confusion and indifference, then that is a clear sign that Satan's got a foothold somewhere in one of these areas, in some situation. And replying, replaying over and over again the regrets and the dark outlook on life we call you know, the blues leads these to the, the surface of our life. And so you've got confusion with its doubt and its uncertainty. And you have disillusionment and strife and discord and argument. And then you have indifference with its cynicism and callousness and coldness and the bitterness that comes from it towards one another and towards other people, towards the things of God. We become callous. And so these are major evidences of the devil working through the flesh. Satan's working in our flesh. And he approaches us through this circumstance. Circumstances in our feelings and other people in our lives who are projecting this onto us and through us and through the workings of our minds, the way we think. So the great question we're facing is, what do we do? Us as a Christian, what do we do when these things occur? How do we counter these? How do we handle these? What do you do in your life? To counteract it. Well, I'll tell you what a lot of Christians do. They complain. Guilty. Find myself complaining. We may say, oh, the devil's real been after me. I've been having a hard time. What a rough time. I'm going through some, you know, some stuff and everything's so discouraging and there's just simply nothing I can do about it. You ever wrestled with those thoughts? Someone put it, I, I think when God sends me tribulation, I ought to tribulate a little bit. <laughs> well, not necessarily not what God wants. That's, that's our humanness thinking. That's not what God wants for us. He wants His peace to reign in our lives. And so surely there's nothing more indicative than having submitted to the wiles of the devil that when we find our lives, ourselves, our attitudes overcome with these what's complaining about what happens to us or what's going on around us. And this is why the Word of God inevitably points out that the mark of a Christian, the evidence of a Christian who has learned how to be a Christian, who has matured in their Christianity is they Rejoice in everything. They give thanks in all things. That's a mark of a mature Christian. And James urges us to do this in chapter 1 and verse 2 of James. My brothers and sisters, you consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect. That's complete. You will be complete. Not deficient in anything. So... How can we consider tribulation to be joy? How do we make it joyful in our lives be undergoing something that tries us? Well, because Paul writes elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, for our momentary, what we're going through in this moment, this light suffering, 
is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, beyond anything in this life. We are being prepared for eternal glory with what we're going through. We're not, because we are not looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. How can I find joy in suffering? Well, I can do that by looking beyond what I can see to what I cannot see. My faith and hope lies in eternity with God. For what can be seen is temporary. What cannot be seen is eternal. And when we see, and for that matter feel, the struggles of life, the reality of this life, it's not about what we can see. The real battle, as Paul reminds us, is not against flesh and blood. It's with what we cannot see. It's the battle for the heart. It's a spiritual battle. And Satan will use the events and the, the, and the opportunities in life to drive a wedge between us and God. He'll do that to knock us off balance. He'll do that to make us, help us slip and fall down to cause damage and destruction in our lives, our spiritual lives, which spills over into our physical lives, our relationships that are around us. And pain and suffering in this world, it's physical or mental or spiritual, those are consequences of sin. And my sin or your sin, perhaps someone else's sin, and ultimately, they are the consequences of, of, of the imbalance that was created when sin was introduced in the garden and it changed. It changed God's beautiful world by Satan's destructive schemes. And when sin entered the world... Everything changed, and not all for the better. But God. See, that's our hope. That's what, gets us, that's what should get us out of bed every day. That's what should keep us moving forward. But God. This is miserable. But God. I cannot see the end of this. But God. I don't know what to do in this situation. But God. But God. But God does, and God did. And God is. God is bringing balance back to creation through Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. And that's the Gospel that Jesus has already defeated Satan. And that those who are in Christ have been adopted and forgiven and redeemed. Added to God's family. Claimed by God. And that's the peace which passes all understanding. That's the peace on which we can stand. Sure-footing. Even the most unstable ground of life. But that does not mean that the Christian enjoys everything. It doesn't mean that we just go through life bubbly and pretending like everything is just perfect because it's not. Nor does it mean that we merely pretend to rejoice in everything. It means that in everything, everything which tests our faith, whether it's sickness or sorrow or suffering, whether it's bad choices or bad relationships or distractions of life, in everything we can stand firm. Because God gives us that ability to do that and not give in to the sinful thoughts and the choices and the opportunities that Satan opens our eyes to, which fill the very place that the Spirit of God was given to fill. See, because of the Gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done and is doing for you and for me, then I can take whatever the devil gives without wavering because I know that the battle already belongs to the Lord. He is the victor. And He is inviting me to share in His victory. And when people close to you, when they challenge your standing with God, when they do that, and they remind yourself that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and for me. 
and for them who challenge you. And when someone you work with chastises you because you live in a certain way or you raise your family by different standards and they've chosen, you remind yourself that it is now in Christ Jesus that those who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that is good news. That is peace in that situation. And when your body begins to fail you, and discouragement comes, and Satan's strongest foothold in your life through discouragement, you remind yourself that even though it may feel like it, our greatest battle is not against this flesh and blood. It's not against the flesh and blood of the people around us. Our greatest battle has already been won by God through Jesus Christ. And that is peace. That is our peace. See, the war for us, our war, our battle, is to walk daily in the Spirit and not in the flesh. The war for us is to live in the Spirit and not in the flesh. To live by the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The war for us is to love. To love what is right, what is good, what is holy, what is just. And not find our affections attached to what is evil. The things that, that allure us to do things that are against God, especially in the way they're presented to us. And sin masks the reality of the, the sting. So we've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared for whatever life brings our way, whether it's welcomed or unwelcome. Well, how do we do this? How do we prepare? By making sure that we're grounded in the gospel, by making sure that this good news of God is, 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 is internalized. That this way, which is Jesus, all that Jesus was and is and will be for us, is alive and living in me and for me. It's faith. Shoring up our faith. Standing firm and doing all we can do to stand. When you're a kid, for the most part, you can stick your foot in a tissue box and go run outside and play all day with some tissue box shoes. You can do that. (laughs) And I don't care. But for... For us, more mature. We've got to make sure we got good footing. We appreciate and understand the function of a good shoe, good support. The Gospel is sure footing. It's the best support. It's our support on which we can stand. And so our question today is, are you maturing in Christ? Have you reached a point in your life to where you kind of stalled out? Because that's what Satan wants. He wants us to think, I've been a Christian for a hundred years. I know the Bible backwards and forwards. I'm good. That's exactly what Satan wants. Because as soon as we think that, we aren't. And he's got us. He's got us into either self-righteousness or he's got us into some sort of attitude towards others. He's got our outlook all messed up to where we, we no longer see our place in in God's kingdom to be a mentor, to be a guide, to be an encourager for those around us who feel like they're slipping and sliding every single day. And for those of us who are slipping and sliding, I call us back to the Gospel this morning. The good news of Jesus Christ. He is our sure footing. We've got to come back to Him. And we do that by repenting of whatever sinful choices and actions and living that we've been doing, remind ourselves that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No matter what those around us are are encouraging us 
to do otherwise or chastising us for the choices that we make. We've got to stand firm because that's the only sure footing we have. And we help each other do that. When we come together and we encourage one another. And we do that not only by saying, hey, remember, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But we, we remind each other of that by saying, let me tell you what. My feet were killing me Tuesday. Killing me. I was slipping and sliding all over the place. But let me tell you how I got my feet back in those shoes. Back in the Gospel of peace. We do that by sharing our Christian struggles and our triumphs through Jesus Christ, because of God's grace. That's another way we do that. Never take advantage and take for granted the ability to share your struggle and how God helped you overcome in this life with someone else. It may very well be the words that God is using through you to reach them. This morning, if we've got a need as we come together, whether it's for prayers, whether it's for encouragement, whether we need to repent... Confess our sins to one another. Whether it's time, you've been waiting to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to confess Him as the Son of God, your Lord and Savior, to give your life to Him and to be baptized into Christ. The only way to be truly cleansed of your sins so that you can stand not on your own righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ before God our Father for eternity, to be welcomed into His kingdom as one of His children. You can be baptized today. And begin your walk with Him, sure-footed in the gospel of peace. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement now as we each make our decision.